been my friend for so long. You were right and I was wrong. I can't repay all the love you've given me. You were my friend when no one cared. I was alone, but you were there. Lord, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. dreams, all life's joys you've given me. When trouble comes, you're always there to make me smile. So come what may, thy will be done. I love you, Jesus, God's precious Son. Lord, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. ever happened to me. I'm your child and you're my father. I'm the clay and you're the potter. Lord, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. And so, oh, there we go. And so um, we're going to get things started here, but uh, you're going to have to listen quick today because I want to get you out here on time. Again, we're not sure what's going to happen with that weather, so I want to get you home safe. And if for some reason you've got a lot of freezing rain, some of you older folks I know won't be able to make it for sure. And here's how we're going to do it. I think they're having the Super Bowl tonight, no matter how the weather is. So we're going to have church. If you can make it, great. If you can't, well, we, you know, whatever. But we'll be here, okay? Uh, if I have to, I'll make some of the guys stay and then... They can run the service while I'm watching the game. But anyway, <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, all right? Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. All right. I don't care what anybody says. I will watch that game. I'm watching that game. And somebody says, oh, you make too much of sports. Okay, well, maybe I do, but I'm watching the game anyway. I, I like football, man. I, I'm bumming that it's over with. I am bumming. Some of you ladies are going, oh, what a loser. Some of you guys might even be saying that for all I know. You've been saying that long before I ever said I love football. But anyway, oh, <laughs> some of you just got that. Good. All right. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. And I'll tell you honestly, I can't even find the passage in my Bible. Fortunately, I have it written out on my notes. So I think I'm just going to settle for that right now. All right, let's go ahead and just take a look at that very quickly. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. 
That's our theme, of course, this year, and we've been discussing it the last couple of weeks. And, of course, today's the last uh, Sunday that we're going to be addressing this particular series. Now, the series, remember, I told you, will be broken into three different parts. Uh, a mind to work, of course, uh, uh, for the faith is what we've been dealing with this time. And we'll deal with a mind to work for the family and a mind to work for the future in the future. But for right now, we're going to continue, continue with this thought, a mind to work for the faith. We noted, obviously, that the children of, uh, uh, the, the, the children of uh, <clears throat> Judah had gone into captivity, Babylonian captivity, and uh, they've come out of captivity. And then, of course, there were a couple of folks that led them out of captivity. We know that Ezra and Zerubbabel led a group out. Uh, Zerubbabel led a group out, I should say, and Ezra established the uh, uh, temple worship and the temple itself. And then, of course, later on down the road, we have Nehemiah here. We're reading in the book of Nehemiah. And he brings a group of people out of captivity as well. And they're going, they're going to rebuild the walls now. And we noted that. And we said that they met up with a lot of opposition. Anytime you're trying to do anything for God of any significance, you're going to meet up with opposition. It doesn't matter whether or not it's just you as a person trying to live your uh, life uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be people that aren't real happy with that. They're going to think you're a fanatic. They'll think you're over the top. They'll think that you're just a little overboard with the things of God and religion. That's all right. If you're trying to run your marriage according to the word of God, there'll be people that say, well, that's not like that anymore. You know, wives don't have to submit. Husbands don't have to love like Christ loved the church. I mean, you guys act like your marriage is more important than anything else. I mean, there's other things that are important too. Well, you know what I mean? There's other issues. There's some standards there. There's some, some responsibilities that God outlines in the word of God that make marriage very sweet and wonderful if we do it God's way. And uh, yet the world sometimes doesn't see it that way anymore. They don't have problems with the guy going out with the guys, the girls going out with the girls and having their separate bank accounts, run their separate lives, going their separate ways. You say, well, we do some of that. I'm just saying the world doesn't have a problem with that. Now, listen, you start living the way God says you ought to live and start doing things the way God says, you're going to have some opposition. You want to run your home the way you're supposed to run your home. You're going to discipline your child according to the word of God. You're going to do things the way the Bible says. Guess what? You're going to have some opposition. You, you just are. That's just life. And you know what? Nehemiah's trying to do something for God here. And he's going to run into some opposition. And that's normal. Now, we're talking about a mind to work for the faith. We're saying that the faith itself is something that's going to require some work if we're going to see it continue, if we're going to see it prosper, if we're going to see it go forward. We noted over in the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible said, Beloved, when, uh, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered. We said that word contend means to strive, to strive against or struggle in opposition. As it's used here in the book of, of uh, Jude, it means to earnestly uh, put forth earnest effort to obtain, to defend, to preserve. Well, we want to preserve this faith. We want, to, we want to spread the faith. We want it to grow in the world. We don't want it to decline and ultimately fall away and, and, and be lost. And so it's going to demand a mind to work. We as a people need to come together and say it's worthy of our effort. It is a noble cause. It's it's certainly something that we want to see in the next generation. And so we're willing to work at keeping the faith alive, preserving the faith. <coughs> Excuse me. And so that's kind of where our, our focus has gone here over these last uh, few weeks as we've worked on that. We said uh, we noted a mind to work for the faith, elements of the faith. We said, of course, the, the faith is a person. It's a perspective. It's a practice. We noted the enemies of the faith. And we said, well, Satan... And bad science, society, self. We noted then today, as we're going to, to continue on, we're going to consider this thought. Execution of the faith. I'm not talking about killing it. 
<clears throat> we're talking about executing as far as doing it, okay? How are we going to continue in the faith? And it's going to take some work, but how do we continue in that faith? How do we execute the faith? And so I want to talk about that. I'm going to basically deal with you in principle and philosophy today a little bit more. Um, I hope it's practical in one sense, but I do want you to understand where we're coming from. I want you to understand where the Word of God's coming from, because it's so important that we execute the faith. And unfortunately, if you're like me, I've looked around and I've seen a lot of examples of things that, well, as the Bible says, there ought to be fruit that remains. I don't always see that. And that can be discouraging, can it? Why is that? Excuse me. Why is it that we're not seeing fruit that remains? Why are we not seeing the faith executed? Well, I'm going to discuss that today. I'm going to address that issue, talk about it just very briefly today. So let's uh, hurry right into things. Obviously, it's almost 25 till. I really want to be done by about uh, right on the hour, maybe five after. So I really want to push it a little bit. And I tell you that because I want to be a little accountable to you today, okay? I don't want anybody standing up going. I'm telling you so that I'm accountable to that because I just said it. But I don't need you to go, you know. Okay, you know, but, but I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best today, okay? So let's go ahead and have a quick word of prayer because we've got to move quickly today. Father, we love you, and thank you for these that have gathered. What a great group. And Lord, I know, Father, with the reports that were out, we, we, I wasn't sure if anybody would be here. And Lord, thank you, Father, for just a desire uh, on people's hearts to say, you know what, we're going to get up, get ready, and Lord, we're going to do our best to get there. And if we can't, we can't, but if we can, we will. Thank you for that kind of spirit and attitude today. Lord, and I want everyone that's here to get something today because, Lord, they, they did. They did their best to be here. <clears throat> and, Lord, they, they didn't want to be cheated out of the Word of God. And I just pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would work. And, Lord, if there's those that are listening today that were unable to get out today for whatever reason, sick or whatever, ill, Lord, I do pray you bless them today as well on our, our website and all of that stuff. <clears throat> now, Father, bless us today. Speak to my heart. Let me be a blessing to you. Fill me with your Spirit. And let's... Help me to keep things so simple that I can understand them and present them in a way that will be understandable to everyone else. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. As we move along, again, we're discussing this issue and we're looking at execution of the faith. And again, I've, you know, I've asked myself a number of times, you know, where are all the people who made decisions in our church? You know, where are all those people? I mean, this past year we had... My mind's going a little bit blank on the numbers, but it was over a hundred some people that came to Christ this year. You know, whether it be door knocking, whether it be in the church, but where, where are those people at? You know, you think those things. I don't know, maybe you don't, but I do. I, I, I consider those things. Um, <clears throat> I think also then, if you think that way, then there's probably some other questions that you ask, and it might be something like this. Of those that do come, why do so few really stick? You know, they start coming and they don't stick. And, and, then, and then the next question could be something like this. <clears throat> well, why do so many that stick, um, why do so few of those that stick, don't, they don't really change? They don't really change. And then you could go the next step and say, how, how's come so many of those that do stay and do, uh, that stick and that, that do, do change, they don't really count for God in a significant way. Why is that? 
I, I think about those things. Those are the kind of questions that I ponder in my mind. And I'm sure many of you have thought the same things. If you've been in church any length at all, those are the kind of things that you've probably considered, you've questioned, you've wondered. And, and if you're not careful, the devil's used that in the back of your mind to somehow get you to doubt the Christian faith. To start to wonder whether or not anybody's really even getting saved. Whether or not the gospel's even really able to overcome uh, problems in lives. And able to have victory and, and more powerful than our problems. I mean, you start to wonder all this stuff. What's going on here? Am I just going through the motions? Is this all we do? We just meet for church. We give our tithes and offerings. We go home. We meet to church. We give our tithes and offerings. We teach a Sunday school class, and, class maybe. We go out soul winning possibly. But where's the change? Where's the blessing? Where's the, 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 the effect of it all? And if you're not careful, you can fall into the trap of believing that somehow, whether you want to admit this or not, that somehow it appears that God's died. Because if He did it in the past and He's not doing it now, then what's the problem? Well, let me tell you that there might be a little breakdown here in the execution of the faith. And I want to share it with you just a little bit and give you a couple basic, under, basic thoughts that I hope will be a blessing and a help to you. But <clears throat> these are questions for the ages that we've just shared. Generation after generation has wondered, where are all the people that have they're saved? Why aren't they all in church? I mean, that's been going on forever. And, and you say, well, it's more now than ever. Well, maybe from our perspective, because we've lived a whole, what, vapor, <clears throat> you know, our life is but a what? Vapor. Appear for a little time and vanish of the way. So to us, this is all we know. So we base it on what our perspective is and what our, 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 uh, our past has been and, and our upbringing's been. And we look at it and go, wow, over the last 30 years, I can tell you right now, it's a lot worse than what. Yeah, I know, but if you lived 200 years ago, you might ask the same questions and said, man, nobody's, every these people getting saved, nobody's come to church. I'm just saying, it's been like this forever. And so, the truths that we're going to share today have been forever too, though. And so I want to just try to share them with you. And, and um, <clears throat> I, I just think it's so important that we get a grasp on this simple thought. And, and you've heard me talk about this possibly in the past, but I hope that it doesn't bore you to death. And I hope that you'll listen because I think we can fix some of these problems if we'll focus our attention here. I, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 17. <clears throat> I think I can even find that one. Romans chapter 6, New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then we come to Romans. Chapter 6, verse 17. <clears throat> because of time and your fortune, I'm going to streamline this message. I'm going to make it quick, to the point, and I think it'll be just as effective as if I spent an hour on it. So let's go ahead and look at it. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. <clears throat> Notice this verse here, because I think this issue... Uh, provides us an answer to our questions, and it's found in this one verse. Chapter 6, verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, <clears throat> but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Now notice again, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. You say, what, that's the answer to our problem? Absolutely. It really is. You have it. There it is. Simple. Right there in black and white in the scriptures. Paul begins by showing us the very source of all change. You know what the source of change is? God. He gives the glory to God for all change that takes place. He says, God be thanked. He didn't say, my preaching be thanked. My presentation be thanked. My counseling be thanked. My wisdom be thanked. My persuasive logic be thanked. He didn't say that. He said, simply, 
but God be thanked. See, God is the real change element. He himself is the one to be thanked and praised and glorified and exalted because of change. If there's any change in your life, if there's any change in my life, if there's any change in our children's lives or our family's lives, it is all God. God brings the change and God makes the change. Every counselor needs to return to that truth. Every one of us, the council need to realize and remember it's God that should be glorified. It's God that should be magnified. Every psychologist, every psychiatrist needs to face this reality. Every single creature of God who seeks the truth must bow before this simple fact that it's not a theory, it's not a technique, it's not a methodology, it's not a philosophy that changes man. It is God and God alone. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. He says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever He will. Again, that's a liberating truth for the counselor today who scrambles for answers when someone approaches them with a tough situation. I mean, that is a very liberating fact. It is a gold mine of truth to the person who is personally struggling with an issue in their life seeking hope. It is God and God alone. So God changes the person. So we could say then that God is the father of change. God is the father of change. The verse goes on to say, however, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Now again, in the passage, we note that God is the father of change, but the verse indicates something else. It indicates that doctrine is the framework of change. Notice again the word doctrine here. He says, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. This passage again speaks of that form of doctrine. Doctrine simply stated is teaching. It's real simple. It's teaching. And in this case, it's teaching in the scriptures. So he's saying, okay, there you go. God is the father of change, but doctrine is the framework of change. Okay, we have God who who brings all change into our lives, but we need something, and without it, it will never happen. And that is doctrine. Doctrine. The Bible, matter of fact, says that Scriptures, the Scriptures, the Word of God, is able to make one wise into salvation, according to 2 Timothy 3.15. Matter of fact, he goes on to say in 3, uh, 3.15, that, uh, 3.17, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. It, it even says later on in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that it enables us to become the partakers of the divine nature. It's this doctrine, this word of God, this truth that we have here. All of those things are possible and all of them are at our disposal and all of them are are those things which we can possess indeed if we have this book, the Word of God, the doctrine, the truth, the teachings of the Word of God. That doctrine, again, that he's speaking of in the passage was effective because, as he says, it was, quote, delivered you. It was delivered you doesn't mean it delivered you. It was, I mean, he's saying, here it was, it was, here it was, it was, Paul the Apostle comes and he takes it and he delivers it, you. 
Here it is. It's given to you. And then it's received by you, as we'll see in here in a little bit. But God's Word is taught by God's servant. It's delivered up to God's people. And there can be no change without God and His Word or doctrine. It doesn't happen. Doctrine or teaching from the Scriptures is the framework of change. But even with those things, even though God is the Father of change, even though Scriptures are the framework of change, those things are not effective without the response of you and I, the child of God. In Romans chapter 6, 17 again it said, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered. You notice, but ye have obeyed. Ye have obeyed. Paul's writing to the Romans and he says, but ye have obeyed. Obeyed in contrast to yielding to sin and becoming a slave to sin. Over there in chapter 6, uh, six verse 16, he says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. He squarely places the responsibility of obedience on our shoulders. He squarely says, Okay, I'm God, the God of change. I give you a book of truth, which is doctrine. It's taught to you. It's handed to you by the man of God. It's given to you by the servant of God. You are responsible, he says then, ultimately, to either yield to sin or to obey the truth. It is your responsibility. So what we find is that the will is involved then. So that ultimately means this, that all change in the human life then is in the individual's own will. You choose whether you allow God and His doctrine to change your life. So what we find then is this. The heart is the fuel for change. This is the fuel. First doctrine was taught. Then it went to the heart. And the result was obedience. And so... God is the father of change. Doctrine is the framework of change. And the heart is the fuel of of change. What am I really saying then? Let me boil it down for you. Change begins with the head, moves to the heart, and finds its way out to the hands. That's what we're really teaching. That's what the passage is teaching. So what? How does that affect me? What, What do you mean by that? Well, let me just break it down. We're going to talk about head, heart, hands today real quickly. Number one, the head. With the head, I want you to think of this thought. Head, learn it. Learn it. Learn it. Starts with the head. You have to learn it. A person is introduced to truth. You know nothing. As a matter of fact, a statistic that we addressed and talked about uh, yesterday in the Go Rally was that 60% of people who visit the church have no real understanding or background of faith and religion, a real understanding of it, don't really have a real grasp of truth. That's not saying that they're, 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 they're not smart. It's not saying that they're not intelligent. It's just saying that they haven't been exposed to biblical truth. 60%. Now there's that 40% that have. 
Maybe they grew up in a Christian home. Maybe they grew up in a home that went to church on a consistent basis or possibly even an irregular basis. But they've got the basics. But 60% come to church and they don't have that. They don't have that bearing, that foundation, that understanding. Well, guess what? If they're going to ever change, if their lives are going to ever become anything for God's sake, then they're going to have to learn it. You got to get some truth. So we're introduced to truth, then we embrace it intellectually. It's got to make sense to us. And then it provides us with answers. You may know what the Bible says. You may understand it to some degree or another. You you can possibly quote it back to me, or, or even explain it, or teach it in a lesson. That could be just head knowledge. Intellectual understanding. You've learned something. Head, learn it. Why are so many, as we call, why, do we, why are there so many shooting stars in the church or in the ministry? Why are there so many flash-in-the-pan converts? And that's what we, how we opened it up, remember? How, where are we getting? How are we getting to this place where we see these people supposedly professing Christ, but we don't see them performing on behalf of Christ? Well, somewhere along the line, the complete plan of Romans six seventeen was not followed. We broke the, the plan. We broke the, 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 the steps, if you will. Since the steps haven't been followed, the change is incomplete. And the obedience that we see maybe in their life is short-lived. Why? Because we've skipped a step. The solution is to begin where God begins. And that is with doctrine. The teaching or this teaching is directed at the conscious mind. This is not subliminal. This isn't something that we do, you know, we get a, a little, uh, um, of, well, not, I was going to say a ventriloquist, but that's not it. What's those guys that put you under? They're uh, hypnoti- hypnotists. We don't get a hypnotist and try to, to, to remove that, that, you know, help you understand that Christ is the way, the truth, and life through hypnotism. Man, we're dealing with the conscious mind. As a matter of fact, God's not big on people dealing with the unconscious, by the way. Can I, can I just, I mean, let me just, and I know some of you aren't going to agree with me because you've seen results from this. You've seen results. Uh, but, but let me tell you something. You don't want to turn your mind over to anybody for suggestion. You don't ever want to shut your conscious mind off and say, tell me something, change me, teach me. No, 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 you let the Holy Spirit do that. You let God do that. You know, I, I listen to a lot of people now, they're big on this hypnotism to quit smoking. What else can they teach you while you're under hypnosis then? What other thoughts can they maybe implant in your mind while you are unconsciously thinking? Or receiving thought unconsciously? I'm just saying you need to be careful with yielding your mind to someone else. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ. I mean, you're turning your mind over to somebody that's carnal and fleshly then. We've got to be careful. Now, again, I'm not trying to be mean and nasty. I'm not, and if you've had results in it, I'm not going to argue the result. I'm sure you have had results. I'm just saying, as a Christian, be very careful as you start yielding your mind to others, especially other than Christ. I wouldn't want you to let me do that to you, let alone someone else. God's big on the conscious mind. You want to know why? Because God doesn't want you to make a decision without you knowing why you're making it. It has to be yours and yours only. Because God's not like that. He doesn't work that way. So if this is the case and we have to learn it, then the philosophy of the world and the traditions of men are those things that have to be addressed. 
We have to face those facts, those realities of life. And unfortunately, to our shame, even in the church, we've adopted philosophies of the world. Even in the church, we've adopted these, these traditions of men, if you will. And they have to be addressed from Scripture. They have to be addressed from the Word of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why would we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind? Why would God take the time to say that to us if it didn't have to happen? If it wasn't an absolute necessity in our life? If it only was a couple of people, well, I don't think he would have taken the time to place it in the book. I'm telling you, he's speaking to all of us today when he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We all need a renewing of mind. And that is something that God is going to speak to us through His Word and through the doctrine, the teachings of the Word of God. When God commissioned Jeremiah as a prophet, He told him to do something that is pretty sound advice for believers today as well. He tells him to root out, pull down, destroy, throw down, and then, He says, build and plant. Isn't that interesting, the the process? Uh, the, the, the order in which he places it. Before planting comes, rooting out the weeds has to take place. Before building comes, the old one has to be demolished, removed. If true change is going to come in our lives, lasting change, then we cannot just simply introduce a standard of living or a rule of thumb without supporting it doctrinally. You say, but... But some things you just do because it's right. I agree 100%. And let me tell you something. One of the gentlemen, one of the guys was saying this in a, a lesson or a meeting I just recently heard. Uh, one of our guys was. I don't remember who it was. But they said, it doesn't matter. If you're not doing things for the right reason, at least keep doing the, things, at least keep doing the right things until you get the right reasons. <laughs> Years ago, when God started blessing me with souls... And I was going out knocking doors and I was going out talking to people at McDonald's and other places and people were giving me, God was blessing me with souls. I remember getting all freaked out and going, oh man, why am I really doing this? Why am I doing this? Is this so that I, I, for me, is this to elevate me? Is, am I going out there just to prove to myself that God's on my side? Am I going out there just to somehow build a, a work trying to help see that God can do something great with me and be able to say, look at what God's doing. Wow, great job, Pastor Mark, great job. Was that what my motivation was? And you know what? I prayed about it. I said, God, I don't want to do anything with the right, without, with the wrong motivation. God, I don't want to do win souls just so that we can build the church. And I don't want to win souls just so that we can get a name. And I don't want to build souls just so we have to build bigger buildings. I, I want to do it for the right reasons. Oh God, I'm, I'm just confused. I, I don't want to do the wrong thing. And boy, the devil got in and said, you, you know what? You're probably doing it for the wrong reason. You ought to probably just back off. And I prayed about it and I prayed about it. And the Lord said this to me. He said, you worry about doing right. I'll worry about your motives. You just do it. And if you've got a motive problem, I'll fix it. Let me tell you something. If you're doing something right and you don't know if it's for the right reason, just keep doing the right and ask God to help you to understand whether it's the right reason or not. And he'll fix your reasoning. Amen. If you're sincere about that. If true change is going to come, as we said, then we can't simply introduce a standard of living or a rule of thumb without first supporting it doctrinally. If doctrine is omitted, if it's kept out of the equation, then change comes solely by way of emotion then. And emotion will weaken in time. And therefore resolve will weaken also. We can't be guilty of simply demanding a change in conduct. 
by pure willpower alone, though. And be careful with that one. I said, you said, well, you already said that the willpower is important and it is absolutely necessary. It is absolutely necessary. But you cannot dismiss doctrine. If it's solely willpower, then, then let me tell you something, that conduct will change when certain pressures arise in your life. The, con- the, the, the conduct will revert back to what it used to be. If it's simply you coming up to the, I'm not going to smoke again. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to look at that horrible picture. I'm not going to go to those kind of places. I'm not going to do those things. Just your willpower, ultimately, if you're not careful, the situation will change. Circumstances may change. Life may change. And next thing you know, your resolve will change. The order's clear here. First doctrine enters the mind. Then it goes through the heart and out the will. It starts, first of all, with a head. Learn it. Starts in the head. Learn it. You've got to learn doctrine. Number two, we go to heart then. Head, learn it. Heart, love it. Heart, love it. The second step in this plan is the heart. If the doctrinal stage is the learn it phase, then the heart is the love it phase. Pretty simple. This is the time when fact becomes faith. This is the time when knowledge becomes conviction. This is the time when truth becomes very personal to you. You, you, know, you know how sad it is to hear this statement. I used to tell our adult leaders all the time, don't you ever tell somebody, well, we do this because the pastor said. I'd say, don't you ever say that. If I find out you're saying, I'll fire you on the spot. You want to know why? An adult Bible class leader ought to have enough convictions that I shouldn't have to say the pastor said so. They can turn to the Bible and say, see, right there it is. This is why we do this. Because the Word of God says so. You say, well, an adult pastor, the teacher said that to me. Well, I never heard about it then. Should have never happened. That's a cop-out right there. What that says is, I don't know why I do what I do. Do you know why you do what you do? Do you want to know why many people are flash-in-the-pan Christians? You want to know so many people? Unfortunately, we saw, we saw a statistic the other day that said 10% of those that are in the church today, a year from now, won't be there. Can you imagine that? That means that in this group today, if we number this group, say there's 150 in here today or 200 in here today, if we took that number, say it was 200 and we said 10%, that means 20 of you will not be here next year at this time. You want to know why? Right there. Because you may have learned it. Maybe in your head. But it never got to the heart. You don't love it. You say, whoa, 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 you can't, you don't know my heart. I didn't say that. I said, those that are flashing the pants, those that don't follow through with their Christian faith, there's a big step that was missed. Oh, they may have it in their head and they may have it on their hands. They may know what they should be saying and what they should be doing. And they may be going through the motions doing it all. And they may say, well, I'm trying to do it for the Lord. But the fact is, unless the doctrine has entered their heart, unless there's true conviction in their life, unless they've come to the conclusion that this is for me, this is mine, it won't last. It won't last.
It's written about the Hebrews that their, quote, heart made them willing to give in Exodus chapter 35, 29. And it goes on to say in verse chapter 36, and moved men to work. Their heart did that. Their heart caused them to do those things. The Apostle Paul alludes to, the, to, to, quote, doing the will of God from the heart in Ephesians 6.6. 6. Doing the will of God from the heart. In 2 Thessalonians, turn there, would you please? Chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. I have five minutes. I've got to close this down. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. We've got to hurry. We're almost done. Notice what it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 11. It goes on, and again, the apostles speaking here to the Thessalonians. Their concern was that they had missed the rapture of the church. That God had returned, and unfortunately they were in the tribulation period. He eventually addresses that issue and says, No, 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 no. The day of Christ is different than the day of the Lord. Trust me, you're okay. But notice what he says in 2 Thessalonians, because he's saying, Now listen, let me tell you how it's going to go, so you realize you haven't been left behind. In chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, talking about the Antichrist in the end, last days, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Watch the next phrase. Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Didn't say they didn't have the truth. They didn't love the truth. You get where we're going here. See, this is a heart issue. Do you want to know why we, we, we see people that get saved and then we don't take the next step of obedience and baptism or they don't follow through in their church attendance or they don't get involved in the work of God? I'll tell you why. Because they may have gotten the knowledge of it, the head knowledge. Oh, the head. They learned some things. And they may have intellectually received them or accepted them intellectually, but that hasn't been transferred to the heart. They don't love the truth. They only know the truth. It takes time for the truth of God to gravitate or to move from the head to the heart. Somebody comes into the church, they're new, they walk in the door, they sit in a seat, and we expect them to be just like us. We've been in the church for 15, 20 years maybe. Oh, they ought to be, well, I don't understand why they don't dress properly, and I don't understand why they don't look right, and I don't understand why they don't talk right, I don't understand why they don't do this, do that. Are you kidding me? If you aren't totally different than them. There's something wrong with you. You've had years for the doctrine, to learn the doctrine and then ultimately assimilate it into your heart, to love the doctrine and to embrace it and say, I've had some convictions in my life. I know why I dress the way I dress. I know why I talk the way I talk. I know why I go some places and don't other places. I know why I don't associate with certain people and I associate with others. I know why I don't put up with gossip. I know why I won't listen to it even if it's a friend or family member. I understand those things because I have the book on it. They come and sit down in the front row and they start saying something bad. Get up and say, praise God, bless the blankety blank. And we go, oh, oh, they cussed. That's all they know. I'm sitting in the back row kind of snickering. You think God's been offended. 
But really, they're sitting in the front row. There's other Christians that are back there that know better that aren't even coming to church. At least they see the need to be where they're to be to learn it. And God helped them to love it ultimately. Because in the end, if you truly learn the truth, if you take this doctrine and you put it in your mind and in your, your head, and then all of a sudden you take that, that truth and you just meditate on it, you memorize it, you mull it over, and you allow it just to saturate your soul, it'll get into your heart. And you'll not only learn it now, but you will love it now. And when you do that, it'll come out naturally in your hands. Nobody will have to say you need to watch your tongue. Nobody will have to say you need to read your Bible. Nobody will say you have to be in God's house. Nobody will say that you ought to be giving according to the Word of God. Nobody will have to tell you those things. You'll have some convictions. Because they're rooted and grounded in this book, the Word of God. Head, heart, hands. That's where the breakdown is. It's somewhere along the line. If you say, I'm just going to give them some intellectual understanding and then I expect them to do what's right, I'm telling you, people will only last so long living like that. If you say, listen, this is what you have to do. With your will, you need to be in church every week. Sooner or later, they'll come maybe every week to please you or to please somebody, but ultimately until they want to please God with their heart and their life, it won't be theirs. And sooner or later, life situation will come along. A new job will come along. They'll ditch church for that. And next thing you know, you won't see them anymore. Because it wasn't a conviction. It wasn't personal. But when it gets here, and it gets here, it comes out here. It's natural. Father, we come to you.